And we're going to turn now, if you have your Bible, will you turn with me again to the Psalms? We're going to look at Psalm 22, 23, and Psalm 24. The first week we've done a little bit of an overview, then we looked at Psalm 22. And then last week we looked at Psalm 23. And we're going to look a little more at Psalm 23, God willing, then we'll look at Psalm 24 tonight as well. We're going to pick a couple of verses from 22, 23 and 24 because they link together well. Psalm 22 verse 1, the psalm of the cross. Remember the cross, the crook and the crown. The psalm of the cross. Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse 16. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You can see all of this happened 1,000 years later at the cross when the Lord Jesus cried, Matthew 27, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? When they thought he was calling for Elijah to save him, and he was saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. But they thought he was crying for Elijah. And then in Psalm 23 is the psalm of the crook of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. So the cross is 22. The crook is 23 and the psalm of the crown is in Psalm 24. And if you let your eye run down just for the last three verses, verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, Selah, or pause and think about that. So when we looked at this over the weeks, we'll be looking at it uh, more in a moment. Psalm 22, again, Psalm of the cross, Psalm 23, Psalm of the crook, the shepherd's crook, Psalm 24, the Psalm of the crown. And I did more on this on, on parts one and part two, but here's the way it goes. So this is Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. We have the cross, the crook, and the crown. Or the shepherd, the saviour, the shepherd, and the sovereign. The saviour, the shepherd, and the sovereign. Or we have redemption, reconciliation, restitution. 22, 23, 24. We have Old Testament end, that is at the cross. Old Testament into the new covenant made in in the, uh, in the Gospels. So we have the Old Testament end at Psalm 22. Psalm 23, we have the New Testament era. The Lord is my shepherd. We are walking with him in this life. And so New Testament era. And Psalm 24, we have also a coming king, the kingdom age. Okay. Then we also have the gory, the, the cross, the, the horrific nature of the cross and, and the, the, the scarring and the, 
uh, of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the shedding of the blood and the, the mutilated man that he was. They marred his face more than any man. We have the, the nails in his hands and in his feet and the, 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 the back like a ploughed field with a Roman flagellum whip. And, and so we have the gory side of it. And then in Psalm 23, we have grace. We're living in grace because of the cross. We're in grace walking with the shepherd. And then we have the glory. So glory, grace, and glory whenever we are changed to be like him, kingdom age. Or we have salvation in Psalm 22. Sanctification, Psalm 23. Glorification, the glorification of our bodies in Psalm 24. Then we have in Psalm 22, we are free from the penalty of sin. Sinners made righteous. Sinners cleansed. Sinners made free. Okay, so that we are free from the penalty of sin. Those outside of Christ are not free from the penalty that's upon them in sin. And thus, those of us who have been saved and washed by faith in the blood of Jesus and repented of our sin... We are free from the penalty of sin, Psalm 22 at the cross. Psalm 23, we are saved from the power of sin. That is the sanctified life, overcoming in this life, being an overcomer in Christ. Free from the power of sin. And in Psalm 24, at the glorification of our bodies, when the kingdom is in its fullness, at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be free from the presence of sin. Free from the presence because the presence of sin is in our mortal members. It's in our flesh. It's in the pains and the sufferings of our flesh, the temptations of the flesh. And every time we try to crucify the old man or crucify that old woman who likes to pop their head up, whether it's, whether it's in anger with the wrong people at the wrong time or whether it's in greed or where it's in lust or temptations for other different things of the world, well, we won't have those struggles anymore. We're living an overcoming life and we will be free from the presence of sin because our bodies will be changed. We will receive a new glorified bodies. We will, Psalm 22, we are purchased we were purchased at the cross. We were purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 23, we are preserved. The preservation of the Holy Spirit in us. God the Holy Ghost in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in Psalm 24, we, have, we will be perfected. So we were purchased. We are pre preserved. And then in Psalm 24, we are or we shall be perfected. Psalm 22, we're saved. Psalm 23, we're sealed. He's my shepherd. He belongs to me and I belong to him. Nor as the Holy Spirit shepherds us, the paraclete. He shepherds us through his spirit and through the word. And so we are sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. And then saved, sealed, and we will be, Psalm 24, of the glory of the king, the coming king. We shall be satisfied when we see him and be like in his likeness. We were ransomed by the blood. We are ransomed by the Savior, the Son of God in Psalm 22. We're in relationship with the Savior, the Son of God, in Psalm 23. And we will be ruling with the Sovereign. So we have the saviour, even the shepherd, 
and the sovereign of these. We looked at all those for a couple of weeks uh, in more detail and, and many other things. And then in Psalm 23, first one says, The Lord is my shepherd. That's Jehovah Rohe. He's my shepherd. I shall not want Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide or the Lord will see to it. That's what he is to us. He meets our needs, not our greeds. He's the one who, who blesses us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he also blesses us with our temporal, material, physical needs that we need. And David said, I am oh, I was young and I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Now I notice this. So he's Jehovah Jireh, I shall not want. I give references to these throughout the scriptures Uh, God reveals himself. He reveals his person, his character. He reveals his attributes through his name and who he is. So then these Jehovah's are revealing more about our God. Verse 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That's Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah my peace. It's not just peace like we would say I need a time of peace. Peace of mind, this means peace in its wholeness. Spirit, soul and body. And that's who he is to those who love him, know him. And especially in Psalm 24, when when we become glorified and fashioned like unto his own glorious body, then we will have fullness of shalom, peace. And then in verse 3, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. He restoreth my soul as Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Rafika. In other words, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And he's still our healer today. Not only does he give us in the word the clean foods to eat to be able to keep us in health, how to farm our lands, how to wash our hands in running water and things like that. But what he gives us is divine healing. He blesses us. He also puts people in our path. He gives people skills and gifts to be able to use for our health our help, and our healing. He is still today Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rafika. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, Jehovah Sekhenu. The Lord is our righteousness. And so what that means now is that Christ took our sin on the cross, Psalm 23, and he gave us when we came in repentance to the cross, when we were by faith washed in the blood, he took our sins and bore them the penalty of that in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins might live unto righteousness with the stripes ye were healed. Peter tells us that. And so we have, not only we are, he takes our sins, but we take his righteousness. So we are righteous, justified before our Father, for he sees us in the righteousness of his Son. Jehovah Sakanyu. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. The Lord is with me. Wherever you are tonight, whether you're in a house on your own, or whether you're in a house with your family watching. I know some of our church members and their families gather around to watch whenever we're on live. So whether you're on your own, whether you're with your family, or wherever or whoever you are, if you belong to Christ, then you can say this, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He is Jehovah Shammah. Lord, you're present. Doesn't matter. It's not about how you feel. It's about your faith. It's not a feelings. It's faith. And not feelings. Faith, it bears fruit. It bears the fruit of the Spirit in your life and in your heart. So notice this. Thou art with me, Jehovah Shammah. Verse 5, thou preparest the table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. That is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my protector. The Lord is the one who defends me. The Lord is the one who fights my battles. I prepares the table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. Listen sheep. Sheep people. In other words God's sheeple. Listen to this. The Lord prepares a table before you. In the presence of your enemies. And you write this down on your notepad. While the sheep are feeding, the shepherd is fighting. And so he's fighting your battles. He's not only fighting your battles, but he's also a way ahead of you. He's a way before you. And he's already making the path straight for you. He's already organizing people to come into your life for things to happen that you might be blessed and helped and encouraged. Just hold on and go on and trust on in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is Jehovah Nisi, your banner, he'll be your help and your protection from your enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Here is Jehovah Makadashk, or Jehovah Makadashkum, which means he is the one who sanctifies me. How does he sanctify us? He sanctifies us through his Holy Spirit. And so he anoints us for the task He just doesn't send you forward on your own strength for you'll fail. And he doesn't send you forward in your own flesh because it won't work. But he anoints you for the task that he sends you to. And so he is the Lord who has not only sanctified you, set you apart for him and his use. But he's the Lord who anoints your head with oil. Remember, I mentioned this last week. The pessimist says, my cup is half empty. The optimist says, my cup is half full. But the psalmist says, my cup runneth over. The pessimist says, my cup is half empty. The optimist says, my cup is half full. But the psalmist says, my cup runneth over. Come on, Christian. Come on, believer. The Spirit of God, he's living in you. And so let that run over in the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost anointing and power overflow you, overflow your life. Come over your doubtings and your worries and your anxieties and your feelings and your fears and your faults and your flesh. And let it overflow you. Let it overflow. My cup runneth over. So notice here, then that's verse 5 and then in verse 6. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the two sheepdogs of verse 6 are called goodness and mercy. They shall follow me. And the words there for follow me gives the idea to hunt someone down. God loves you so much. At this time, in this time you feel alone or you feel ill, you're worried or you're stressed, or you're anxious and you're full of anxiety, maybe for the things that's happening, don't be afraid because goodness of God, the mercy of God, maybe you failed him, you think he won't forgive me, he won't use me again, he won't bless me, he will have nothing to do with me, he'll discard me, that's all lies from the devil. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. It means goodness and mercy of God is hunting me down. In other words, God loves you more than you know. And he wants you to know that he loves you. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I think that's good news. Now in Psalm 23, let us just hang around here for a few moments before we go into Psalm 24. Psalm 23 and verse 5. Let's go back to that verse. He says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And here we have a prepared table. Now this is important. A prepared table. We seem to think of a prepared table. And all we're doing is they got a big table and everybody's eating. But yes, uh, that gives the idea where we can eat and the Lord protects. The Lord has bought us. We belong to him. None shall pluck us out of his hand nor his father's hand. So, so we're sealed with the Holy Ghost. That means we're his until the day of the fullness of our redemption. Psalm 24, the glorification of our bodies. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all that's true, but there's more in this uh, one verse that we want to hang around for a few minutes. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And one writer says it means you have put down a well-set table. A well-set table. I'm sure many people know uh, 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 what a well-set table looks like. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it if you haven't set it one before. Well-set, maybe at a wedding or wherever. I remember I used to go to a lady's house who would have invited me and was her pastor in another church and would have brought me in and boy talk about a well set table I thought I was the king getting to visit and there was all the, 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 the right cutlery and all this sort of fine china and all the nice plates and the knives and forks all rolled out and, and I'm a Belfast boy and I'm usually a mug where you can get at least three fingers in to drink your tea but it was a well set table well set food Food was lovely, beautiful, the desserts and all this sort of stuff. So it was well set, tablecloth, polished wood, all of this sort of stuff. Notice this. The word prepared here in Psalm 23 and verse 5 is the word arak. Arak. And it means to order, to furnish, to arrange, to set, to put or to lay out properly and in order. Okay. For example, let me give you uh, 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 the first mention. The first mention where this, uh, this word would be Arach. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 9. Abraham is going to take his son Isaac to sacrifice him. And listen to what it says. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid wood in order. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Laid the wood in order. Arach is the word. In other words, for, for some reason there is some order to place this wood in order for the sacrifice. So it wasn't just a big pile of sticks. Throw it up there and see if we can get Isaac on it some way. It was all meticulously Set in order. It was all well set. Placed on purpose in this way. See, the, the, the thing about this, this is a picture of the Father sending his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to the altar of the cross. Psalm 23. To the altar of the cross. And this is the picture of him. And that, that cross would, there was, was the altar which Christ would, Bleed and die. Only Abraham stayed his hand from the slaying of his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loves. But the father 
gave his son. His son willingly came and he went through with it all the way. So there's a, a way to come for salvation and it's by the cross. There's no other way. It's God's way. God's way is the only way and it's not your way and it's not our way. It's not any way of any minister or denomination or religion. It's what the word of God says that we must come God's way through his son under the blood by the way of the cross. Let me give you another one. Exodus 40 and verse 4. It says, And I shalt bring the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. See, they are to be set in order. It's, it's the same word, Arach. Thou preparest the table before me. Set this table in order, the Lord says, in the tabernacle. And it had to be set in order. Then what came after this was the showbread. And the showbread had to be set in an order too. The tribes of Israel were in an order. They were in an order in their encampment around the tabernacle. They were in an order when they went out to battle. They were in an order. God has an order. An order, not only for salvation and how someone must be saved, how redemption must be brought on, but he has an order for your life. He has an order here for my life. And so this word here, Adak, means so much. God, you have set in order this whole table before me. It's like the way of salvation you've set before me. And you've also set before me, this table represents you've set before me an order for my life. Here's what I want to say to you for people who are feeling of no hope. You have a purpose. God has a plan and, and that he, from before the foundation of the world, Christian, that he would save you, that he would give you to, he give you to his son, that his son would come and redeem you and buy you. So you have a purpose. You have hope. You have a destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Psalm 5 and verse 3, Psalmist says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Where is the word Iraq, Iraq and not? It's the word direct. Direct. In other words, thou, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. In the morning I will have an order. I will order myself. I will give, make myself disciplined. I will have an order of life. I will order my words. How? We come by the blood of the Lamb. We come in the righteousness of Christ. We come to the throne of grace. We come through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For John 14 and 6, the Lord Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So I direct it's the same word, Arak, for prepare. I prepare my heart. I'm coming into your presence. Here, I'm dis the, uh, disciplining my heart, disciplining my life, disciplining myself, and I'm coming to you, to your throne of grace, with discipline. Lord, I'm coming the way you have set it to be so. There's no other way but through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice and his righteousness, and through the merit of his blood and his name. And so one more. It says here in Psalm 23 and verse 5. Thou preparest the table before me. Now listen to Psalm 78 and verse 19. Psalm 78 and verse 19. Yea they speak against God. 
they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now think about this. This is when Israel are traversing the wilderness under Moses. David now is away ahead of them in time. He's now closer to our time. And he's looking back and in the spirit he's looking. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? You know what he did? He brought manna every day to feed approximately up to 3 million people. Think about that. Northern Ireland's population is what? 1.8 million? Maybe touching 1.9 at the very outset. Our whole population, almost one and a half to two times our population. Then there's all their animals and their livestock and all those other things. And the Lord every morning in faith says, go to bed in faith. Go to bed and sleep in faith. And in the morning, when you're waking up, there'll be manna on the ground. Now, don't pick it up for two two mornings. Don't get enough in to say, well, just in case, I'll take it for two mornings. He says, because it'll breed worms and stink. Get one morning then the next day is another morning. Then the next day is another morning. Until the morning before Sabbath, you collect for two mornings. That's the only time. And the idea was you have to go to bed, rest in my word, trust in me, have faith. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. While Israel were sleeping, the ovens of heaven were baking. And while Israel was sleeping, the ovens of heaven were baking. When they got up in the morning, fresh bread, as it were, the manna was on the ground. Can the Lord prepare a table in the wilderness? They were saying. And of course God done this 40 years. 40 years. And he never missed once. Notice here David is looking back and saying. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Here can the Lord furnishes the word Adak a table. And then in the New Testament Matthew 22 And in verse 4, there's a parable of a king who had a marriage for his son. And he sends out for those to come to the the marriage supper. To come to the marriage supper of his son. We're told there are those who who entreated uh, the the servants that he sent out badly. And there are those who says they they rejected them outrightly. And they come back and and the king then sends them out again. This gives the idea at this time when the Lord is saying this to now Israel, whenever they were in Canaan land, they were rejecting the Lord. They rejected the servants, the prophets. But coming closer, the house of Israel were then taken away around 721 BC and they were taken away. They never returned again as a nation. And here we find in the southern kingdom of Judah, they went to Babylon, then they came, some came out again. And we know the story then, the Lord Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Now the idea was, the Lord Jesus, right up to John the Baptist, is out preaching to them. He sends out John the Baptist and they're turning him away. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and here's the son, the father's preparing everything to be ready. Listen to what it says in Psalm 22 and verse 4. And again he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which were bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. I have set all these things in order. I have done a lot for you. Here, in, in other words, this means my son has died for you. My oxen, my fatlings are killed and all things are now ready. Come unto the marriage. Listen, I've, I've killed the oxen. Everything's done. Everything's been, the, the blood has been shed as it were. Everything's prepared. Everything's done. You see, salvation is by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works lest any man should boast. 
He's saying, you don't need to even bring a wedding gift. Just come. Just come. And that's the, that's the invitation of the gospel tonight. Just come. The Lord says, um, my son has died for you. Everything is ready. Everything has been prepared. And you do nothing but receive the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he says, come unto the marriage. And we're told that, that others didn't come. And then at the marriage supper, there's a man come in not dressed. And he was thrown out into outer darkness. Now here's the thing. Up until John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus, they were preaching to come. Preaching the kingdom of God. After the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ until AD 70. That was the other servants going out. Come. Come to the marriage. Come to the marriage. Come. In other words, come to Christ. Come to Messiah. Come. And, and those people from then until AD 70 wouldn't come until the temple was destroyed. The people were carried away in Jerusalem. Fulfillment then of this parable. And it's still a call today. Come. For the second coming of the Lord. Before he comes. Before it's too late. One must come. So Psalm 23 and verse 5. Thou preparest the table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. Here's a wonderful thing about this. Think about the day. That our Lord Jesus Christ. Was sitting at that table. With the twelve disciples. Or apostles with him. And one of them was a devil. One of them was chosen for a particular job and that was Judas Iscariot. And there was a table prepared before the Lord Jesus Christ and Judas Iscariot was there in the presence of his enemies. When we think of this, he sat down to eat with him. Let me bring you somewhere for a moment. In Exodus 24 and in verse 8, Exodus 24 and verse 8, it says, And Moses took the blood And sprinkled it upon the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning these words. Now notice this. The blood covenant that was made with Israel through Moses, there was bloodshed to seal, to bind the covenant. Okay. Then when you read on to the next verse, they see the Lord as it were, with a sapphire pavement beneath him, a blue pavement. It reminds you of the second coming of the Lord in the blue skies of heaven. And then in verse 11 of Exodus 24, listen to what it says. They also saw God and did eat and drink. They also saw God and did eat and drink. Now listen, in Luke 22 and verse 8, The Lord Jesus sends Peter and John saying, Go prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Here they saw God in the flesh and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. Here they ate and they drank with him. And what were they doing? They were preparing the Passover. They were preparing the blood covenant. They were getting ready for the blood covenant, the new covenant. Or Jeremiah 31 and 31, uh, Hebrews 8 and uh, uh, chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10 tells us of the new covenant that the Lord would make with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And what was that covenant? It's the blood of the everlasting covenant. That is the blood of the everlasting covenant. Hebrews chapter 13 and 20 tells us. Now the God of peace. 
that brought again from the dead. Notice that great shepherd of the sheep. That's like Psalm 23, the shepherd. We looked at that on another day. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will in you, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 11, and the Lord, uh, Paul tells us that in the same night in which the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me, instituting this blood covenant. And then in verse 25, he says, This cup is the new testament in my blood, which is shed for many. He says, This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Notice. So here's the blood covenant. They sit at a table that's been prepared and furnished and they eat and drink with God. Now in the new covenant, there's coming a time when Christ returns and we are going to see him as it were on the sapphire pavement of the skies and he will come and we will have the marriage supper of the lamb and we will eat and we will drink with God in our vision and our view because then faith in Christ will give way to sight in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the crook. Psalm 24 is the psalm of the crown. Psalm 24 in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at this. Verse 1 we have the sovereign. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. We have the sovereign here, the one, the creator God, the great creator. You have the, the cross, the crook, and the creator here. And notice here, and then we have verses 3 and 4, we have the Savior. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Here's the Savior. Who has clean hands? Who has pure heart? Whose mouth has not sworn unto vanity or, or been deceit in his mouth? But the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We're going to look at that a little more in a moment. And then verses 5 and 6, we have the saved. So we have the sovereign, the Savior, and the saved. Now, in other words, the Father, the Son, and the adopted children of God. That is, those who are his own, his blood-washed. Notice here, verse 5, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's us. We have received his righteousness. And verse 6, Then, this, pardon me, this is the generation of them that seek God, that seek thy face, O Jacob. In other words, that's us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Then we have this sanctuary, verses 7 to 10. Lift up your head, O ye gates, and lift ye up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, breaking this down a bit for you. First of all, we have to say the Lord owns all things. Verse 1 is, tells us that 
the Lord owns all things. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14 it says, Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord, the Lord's, thy God, the earth also and that therein is. So the heaven, the heaven of heavens, the earth and everything in it belongs to God. So then we have to understand when the Lord Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, take no thought for tomorrow what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll put on. He tells us that God clothes the, the flowers of the feet. Consider the lilies, he says. In other words, if, if God who is sovereign, God who is the great eternal and almighty spirit, God who knows all things, who owns all things, then if he knows the sparrow in flight, the flower of the field, then what do you need? He knows exactly what it is. So he is, he is our, our great creator and he owns all things. He also owns all things uh, because he made all things. He made all things. For example, Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You can go right through the chapter. Or John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. Uh, the same was in the beginning with God. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So here we have God made all things. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. I know I'm going fast here because I have a lot to get out to finish this. And I know I'm sp- I'm a bit speedy tonight, but I'm doing this so that you would be able to even listen to it back again. That you'd be able to go through it with your Bible and with your notebook. So Colossians 1 verses 16 and 17 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. What is man's chief end? What is man's chief end is but to, to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's a joy to know the Lord. It's a joy in loving him. And it's a joy knowing you're saved. It's a joy knowing your sins are forgiven. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and by him all things consist. So Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 are fulfilled by Christ and we are in him. Notice what it says in verse 3. We have the Savior. Psalm 24 and verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? Now, the idea here is who shall ascend? I can't. Because... I'm in my own self, I mean in my own strength. I'm I'm a sinner, I'm a human. I'm a failure, a lawbreaker. So who shall ascend? David understands here exactly what he's saying. We'll look at it in a second. But in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. We have what's known as the five I wills of Lucifer. The five I wills of Lucifer. Okay? Who shall ascend 
into, into heaven. Who shall ascend that hill? Lucifer thought he could. Now, the Lord through the prophet is actually speaking to uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. But on the grander scale, he was this idolatrous, he was this uh, pagan, he was uh, this uh, Babylonian uh, mystery religion worshipper. So he worshipped the mystery religions. And behind all of that mystery religions, even till this day, is, a, is Satan, is Lucifer. And so when he's speaking to this Babylonian king, remember Daniel chapter 4, and we find that in Daniel 3, he, he's feeling, I'm the head of gold of, uh, that, through this dream, and he builds a big tower, as it were, uh, and actually the measurements are 6, 6, and 6, if you want to look into that. But nevertheless, he builds this tower. By the next time, he's saying, look what I have got by my strength and my kingdom. I am Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of kings. And the Lord cuts him down. And he starts going mad. He starts eating grass like a cow. And he starts, his hair grows long and mats like feathers for seven years. So here is a prophetic utterance of those things. But the Lord is speaking in the more, as it were, the grander, bigger picture of the spirit behind him. Remember, Peter says, Lord, don't go to Jerusalem. I'm paraphrasing. Lord, don't go to Jerusalem because you'll be crucified. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. He was talking to Satan behind. Uh, that was stirring the heart of Peter. Remember that? And so, so as he's looking at Peter, he's saying, well, Satan's making you say this. So notice, here's the five I wills of Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. It says, for thou hast said in thine heart. See, that's where the trouble starts in the heart. Notice, verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Or I will exalt my throne above the, the stars of the angels of God. Revelation 12 tells us about that great red dragon, which is Lucifer and Satan. And he takes his tail and he takes a third of the stars of heaven. That's a third of the angels that come with him. Two thirds are still in heaven. So there's more before us than be against us. There's more with us than is with them. Plus we have the power of the almighty God. Notice this. Here he says, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. Verse 13 again, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, I know people in their hearts don't think, don't think like this, but there are people there who think, I'm a good person. I'll be able to get to heaven my way. I'll be able to get there because I'm not bad. I'll be able to get there because I'm doing my religious works. Because I'm bringing my offering of the fruit of my hands and my labors. And they mean the best. And they mean everything with sincerity. But they may be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. Because here the devil here is saying, or even Nebuchadnezzar, look at all of this. I will be like the Most High. We find that there's a man sits in Rome. He calls himself the vicar of Christ. I am like the most high God on earth. Here we must be careful no matter who we are. Satan or Lucifer here says, I will ascend into heaven. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. There's five that I had read out there. The pride of the human heart is sinful. And thinks I do it myself. I'm okay. 
I don't need the Lord. I don't need saved. I don't need redemption. I don't need the blood. I don't need it. I will be in heaven. Friend, beware. For that's the I wills of Lucifer. In Isaiah 14. Notice about the heart here. The heart. In Romans 10 verse 5 reading onward says, Paul writes, Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law. That the man which doeth those things shall live by them. In other words, Paul says, if you can keep the law of God in its entirety to perfection all the time, 24-7, never deviating, never failing once, he says, then you'll be righteous. Then you'll be righteous. But we know that's impossible for man. That's impossible. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Paul's saying you. You can't go into heaven and bring Christ down. You can't go and tell Christ what to do. He's God. You're not. And the moment you think that well God will do as I like or I don't like this God. It makes you God and him not. In your eyes. But he's always God. And what Paul is saying here is. Who shall ascend into heaven? Who's going to ascend like in Psalm 24? Not one of us can. Romans 10 and verse 7 says, who, Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to say, to bring, Christ, bring up Christ from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The faith that Christ died for us. The faith that Christ shed his blood for us. The faith that Christ's work as it were on the cross as we call it. Was finished. Completed. Once and for all. And never to be repeated again. That we believe by faith he paid it all. He did it all. And he did it for me. And his blood shall never lose its power. That's by faith. Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with thine heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, it's not just about saying, yeah, Jesus, I'll believe in that. It's from the heart, a conversion of the heart. So who can ascend into the heavens but Christ? Who can ascend into the place with God even in prayer but Christ? Christ done it all. Listen to Galatians 3 and verse 24. The Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law shows us our wrongs. The law says you're failure. The law says you've, you've got, went wrong. That's transgression. You've transgressed the law. Sin is the transgression of God's law. And so the law shows us you're a sinner. The law shows us you're unable to keep this. The standard of God, you've missed the mark. Paul says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, or all have sinned and missed the mark. And so the law shows us that, but what does it do? Leave us Uh, leave us alone and leave us dead in our sins and in our trespasses no the spirit of god who's quickening us to show us our sin to show us that the law has been broken by us the same holy spirit 
that law points us to the one who kept that law perfect for us and shows us the Lord Jesus Christ who paid our debt when he died at Calvary. So here we have the Spirit of God showing us the Son of God. Son of God dying on the cross to save us, to glorify his Father. And now we have our schoolmaster brings us to Christ. So Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, David knows the demands of the law. For example, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. David's realizing when he's writing this, I meditate in the law of God day and night, but yet David sinned. Didn't he have an adulterous affair with Bathsheba? Didn't he write a letter to put Uriah, her husband, in the hottest most part of the battle so that he'd be, he would die in battle? That he wouldn't make it home because he was afraid that she was expecting his child? David knows what he's writing here and he's saying about the law. David knows exactly what it entails to ascend. Who shall ascend? Here's the psalmist, the king of Israel, the sweet psalmist or singer of Israel. Here he is, anointed of the Spirit, and yet he isn't the one who can ascend. But David's greater son can, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he says, and it delights in his law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 19 and verse 7. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the law is, the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Notice the law of the Lord. You know what that is? The law is the Torah of Yahweh. Eh? The Torah of Yahweh is perfect, or the word is tamim. So the Torah of Yahweh is tamim. You know what tamim means? Without blemish. Do you know when you get the idea of this? Exodus chapter 12. And my memory served me right. It's in verse 5. And they were to take a lamb without blemish. To be sacrificed. It's all about the blood. All of these psalms. It's all, there's all that hidden network of the blood on the cross the whole way through. And here is the, 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 the without blemish lamb. The lamb without spot or blemish was to be sacrificed for the Passover night. Christ our Passover sacrifice for us. So here the Torah of Yahweh is tamim. It is without blemish. And it converts the soul. The word converting or to convert is shuv. To shuv the soul. It means to bring back to a starting point. To revive or to bring back to return. Where you first began. For example those of us who are reading the word and, it, and we're saved and we we'll love the Lord and we're living in the grace of God and we're saying it and we, we, it refreshes us it revives our spirits it cleanses our minds it washes us with the water of the word and, and we're feeling we sense in our spirit that the joy of it the strength of it and the power of it the glory of it and the wonder of it and the joy of it all and, and that's what this can mean converting the soul but the law of the Lord is perfect, converting. It's, it's without blemish. It converts the soul if you can keep the whole law. If you can keep the whole law. But we can't. We're living in grace. Notice this. 
The word converting or shuv, to convert the soul, to bring back to a starting point or to cause to return. Here's where it is mentioned in scripture again. Genesis 3 and 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and on the dust thou shalt return. The two words return. You, Adam, will return to the dust from which I made you. It's the word shuv. It means convert your right back to the beginning. To go right back to the start again. And that's why at the resurrection of the dead, the one without blemish, and those of us who have died in Christ, our bodies will be resurrected again in him and made like unto his own glorious body. I think uh, this, this excites me. This thrills me. And then we have in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, who shall ascend? Ephesians 6 tells us a wonderful thing. That God hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So who shall ascend? Christ ascends. And I'm in him and he's in me. And if you're saved, he's in you too. And when we're praying, we're as it were in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are positionally in that heavenly place. We're at the throne of grace. As, as we're praying, he's our great high priest. And Alison mentioned in her prayer, who's praying for us? Israel's high priest went in with the breastplate of judgment, the stones with the names of Israel written on it for the 12 tribes. Judgment, notice, the names who are in judgment before the Lord in the tabernacle. And they shed the blood of the lamb without blemish upon the mercy seat or the lid of the ark of the covenant. And there he pleaded for Israel as though Israel's sins were his own. Isn't that what Christ has done for us? And he's paid our debt. And so here we find that we are seated as it were. We are in heavenly places with Christ. And that we are before our Lord and him. And so Psalm 22 and verse 1 starts with a question. I'm coming to a close with this. Psalm 22 and verse 1 starts with a question. The Psalm of the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the Lord Jesus cried that on the cross 1,000 or so years later. Psalm 23, the Psalm of the crook. There's no questions in it. No questions at all. It's all declaration. It's all declaration. And that's what we should be in this life. Knowing with assurance who we are in Christ. Knowing that he's with us. He's in us. He's for us. Not against us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Notice. Yeah, we, we should be able to go right through this psalm and declare it, declare it, and to declare it. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth, he, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil wife, for thou art with me. Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah is with you. Thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me or hunt me down all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, you see, Psalm 22 is a question. 
He was separated from his father. He took the wrath of his father on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That you and I would have this assurance that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that our lives are hid with Christ who is in God. And then we can now walk with the shepherd, sanctified and saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise unto the day of redemption and the coming of the Lord in Psalm 24. I think it's powerful. I think it's powerful. So Psalm 23, no questions, just declaration. Psalm 24 is declaring the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And then it goes into the question, who shall ascend and who shall stand? Psalm 103 and verse 3 says, If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? The word is avon or avon. It means to keep watch. Listen, one of the actual terms also means to keep watch as a shepherd watches his sheep. You know, he's really meticulous, really counts his sheep. He knows his sheep. He knows their illnesses. He knows when one's maybe feeling weepy in body and tired and he carries them and so forth. He anoints them with oil. He pours in the, uh, uh, the wine. He brings them to the, the, uh, to the waters of stillness to find rest and pasture. And you know, he knows every one of them. But on the other side, O oh Lord, if I should mark iniquities. Iniquities here is, is a depravity in us. If you were to mark my depravity, Lord. O oh Lord, who should stand? And the idea here is you would be able to meticulously know every single thought, every single way, every single thing about me. But the idea of this verse is, Lord, you don't mark these. Or I couldn't stand in your presence. How do we stand in his presence? As we said at the start, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, believing in the finished, full atonement of the work of Christ. Under the precious blood we have been washed, sealed by his Holy Spirit. We're righteous in Christ. We have that imputed righteousness. And we are in faith, believing through his Spirit, pointing us to the cross and looking forward to the coming We come in his righteousness and we come in his name. So who is this king of glory? He is this king of glory. Listen, this is the only time in this psalm, Psalm 24, that that exact, now the exact term, king of glory is mentioned. It's the only time in the whole scripture, king of glory together. It's mentioned three times in Psalm 24 and nowhere else. For example, Psalm 24 and verse 10, the answer is back. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Uh, The the word for host here is the the, the Lord of Sabaoth or Sabaoth. And so actually here it's short, it's the Lord of Sabah. And it means the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies, the God of war. Stay with me till I finish. Luke 22 and verse 38. They cried to the Lord Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem. Blessed be the king. Notice blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He left his glory. And he came to go to the cross. Colossians 2 and 15 tells us briefly of the battle of the Lord of hosts on the cross. 
having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. And that here he defeats sin, Satan, sickness, death, hell, and the grave. And now when he ascends that hill, who shall ascend and who shall stand as he was resurrected from the dead and ascending into heaven? Christ alone went into the presence of the Father and there he stands and there he is our great high priest. He is the king of glory. Oh, I could hear heaven almost and say, who is this king of glory as they cheer him on in triumphalism as he goes in through, as it were, the gates of glory. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Of glory. So here's your closing thought. In Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16, we see him coming out of heaven. And the armies of heaven are with him. His name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. His name on stay is the Word of God. And listen. He's called the King of Kings. He's returning to Jerusalem. We don't know the day. We don't know the date. We don't even know the hour. But he's coming. The signs are all around us that it's soon. And listen, he's coming to Jerusalem and they which rejected him, the city which rejected him and crucified him outside of it, and the Jews which rejected him may will still be crowned. Who is this king of glory? He's coming to rule with a rod of iron. Who is this king of glory? And I could hear them almost like Allenby went in in 1917 in the Jerusalem gate and the Jaffa gate. But only Christ going in the eastern gate, the golden gate, and hear him saying, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Christ, the King of glory. Here's the psalm of the cross, the crook and the crown. I trust you'll have received something from that. Trust uh, from the study of these last three weeks, you'll receive a blessing from it, and you've maybe even learned something from it. So God bless you. This Thursday evening, we're going to have our, our brother, um, our elder, Glenn McMurray, has a video done. We're going to put it up for you. And he's going to do one weekly for us in the Lord's Well too on a Thursday evening. So 7.30 on Thursday evening. And then on Friday, we're going to have the children coming. And they're going to be doing something. Alison, do you want to come and just mention this, what they're doing? Oh, you've no mic on, you know. Um, what time on? 7 o'clock, out live here. And um, out live, there'll be children, the children's ministry. You're going to see CET kids. Get your kids around the television sets and get them ready. God bless us all. Let's pray. Father, would you now take your word and inscribe it in our hearts and imprint it upon our minds and encourage your people and strengthen them and bless them. For those who are weak, will you strengthen them? Those who are weary, will you draw them? Lord, those who are down, would you lift them? Those who are anxious, would you settle them? Lord, those who are afraid, Lord, would you help them? And we pray, Father, those that are maybe not saved, would you save them? Those who are black backslidden, Lord, would you bring them back to you? And Lord, we pray, Father, that ere this night be over, Lord, we pray that someone would come to the way of the cross. May they find themselves born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood. Bless all those who are sick, would you heal them? 
And Lord, we do again ask you, Lord, to strengthen and protect our nation, our people, and those who are working on frontline services. Keep them safe from danger seen and unseen. Lord, until we meet again, will you bless your people wherever they are tonight and glorify thy name. For Jesus' name's sake we ask it. Amen. God bless everyone and good night.